0: Well, if you'll go ahead and turn your Bible to Genesis chapter 22, that's where we pick up our study this Lord's Day. Uh, It is a blessed day to gather. If you're a guest with us, uh, today's been a great day. Uh, You've been able to witness something very unique. Uh, You got to see a bunch of Baptists raise their hands, and uh, that usually doesn't happen so much in church. Maybe on a roller coaster at a football game. Uh, I had a friend who was a Pentecostal minister who said he loves to see Baptists and Pentecostals because in worship, the Pentecostals have their hands up and the Baptists are just like this, but on a roller coaster, the Baptists have their hands up and the Pentecostals are like this. So we got to break ourselves in a little bit today and that's a good thing and it was good to hear our children come and lead us in worship and uh, hopefully that has helped prepare your heart to hear from God's Word. If you are a guest with us, just to let you know where we are, we've been studying through the book of Genesis uh, since the beginning of the year. And basically what we've seen is in the beginning of Genesis, you have uh, God, our Creator, uh, creating all things. All things are accountable to God, uh, but they are in creation as He gives uh, commands, as He asks for obedience, as He gives guidelines and structure you see man rebel against God in sin. And then shortly after that, as soon as sin occurs, as soon as there's the fall, you see the grace and love and mercy of God because he talks to man about what he's going to do to deal with this issue of sin. That in order to deal with sin, there must be death. But all the way back in Genesis 3, and since we've been in Genesis 3, all the way till now, we've been looking at this promise about how God's going to conquer death and deal with death ultimately through His Son, Jesus Christ, who will be a sacrifice for the sins of all. And so as we come to Genesis 22, it's important to keep that in mind because there are only two places in all of Scripture where you have God ordaining a father to sacrifice a son. One is Genesis 22, and the other is what we see at Calvary in the Gospel. And so hopefully you'll see how those things connect as we look to God's Word today and as we prepare to celebrate in the Lord's Supper together. So if you would, follow along with me as we begin in Genesis chapter 22, and I'm going to read through the whole chapter this Lord's Day and then pray for our time in God's Word This is what God says to us. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand, in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his his horns. And Abraham went, took the ram, and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place. The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor, Uz his firstborn, and Buaz his brother, Kemuel the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Phildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Reumah, bore Tabah, Gaham, Tehash, and Makah. If you would, pray with me for our time in God's word. Father God, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we ask that you would do something. Father, so often people want You to do something. We come to You in times of crisis, in times of need. We come to You and we ask, Lord, would You just do something? And so, Father, today we pray You would do something, that You would change our hearts. Father, that You would wake us up to Your Word Father that you would call us to repentance and faith, Lord that you would help us to see this word, this very word, what it means and and how it relates to us and Father, most of all that we might see the beauty of the gospel today and pray for this in Jesus name. Amen. Some of you probably had the experience of going to a store and seeing this Little phrase on a package that can mean a lot of things. Some assembly required. Now, you know that that might mean that you just need to get out a screwdriver and attach A to B and you're done. Or you know it might mean that you're not going to do much for the next couple of weeks. Some assembly required can mean a lot of things, especially when you're putting something together that has a variety of parts and pieces. What I like to do is open up a box and I just kind of dump everything out and survey it all. And sometimes when you do that, you'll find there's a piece or two that you pick up and you look at and you think, how in the world does this fit into the masterpiece? What use does this piece have? How is this going to fit that? And apart from looking at the directions, you're not going to figure that out on your own. When we come to God's Word, we could easily label it as well, some assembly required, because there are a lot of parts and there are a lot of pieces. And if we don't know the master plan, there are times we come to passages that don't make an incredible amount of sense to us in and of themselves. We come to a passage today that talks about a father taking his son up a, mount, a mountain, binding him, and laying him on an altar to sacrifice him. It's a wonderful passage for our children's choir day, isn't it? You know, kids, obey your parents. Or now, That's not the prescription of this passage. This passage is not a passage to teach us how to deal with our children. Rather... This passage is a piece that fits into a master plan of God's Word. And if you don't understand the big picture, you have problems understanding the piece. And so as we go through this today, I want to remind you, Genesis 22 is about the Gospel. Uh, Genesis 22 is about what every page of Scripture is about. It's about the master plan. That a loving Creator has created us And in our sin we have rebelled and we have broken that fellowship. And in order to have fellowship restored that we might rightly bring glory to God, a sacrifice has to be made. The Scripture says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That the wages of sin is death. Death is required for sin. And what the Gospel says is that Jesus Christ died for our sin. Not just as an act of benevolence or love to show us how much God loves us, but He died, the Scripture tells us, in our place as a substitution for us. You need to understand that master plan of Scripture in order to then understand what this passage is speaking of. Because this passage is pointing towards that master plan. It is pointing towards the Gospel. And so we need to understand that. And then within that, we can learn from this what it means to walk in faith. If you've been with us, we've been looking at Abraham's life and seeing how Abraham was called to walk in faith and yet how Abraham so often struggled to walk in faith. And yet here in this passage, we find a faithful Abraham. And through this passage, we can learn how to be faithful as well. We see that first by looking at the first point I've put there in your notes that as we are faithful and seek to be faithful, we need to understand that the Lord calls the faithful to surrender. The Lord calls us as we are faithful to surrender, to let go of things. Many times it is that which is most precious and dear to us. We see Abraham here being called to surrender that which is most precious to him. And we know from the very first verse that this is taking place because God is testing Abraham. It's what Moses says to us under the inspiration of the Spirit. After these things, God tested Abraham. We are told from the very beginning, this is a test that we might understand how it fits into the big picture. Now, when you think of tests, you probably think of worldly tests. You think of academic tests. Let me just ask students, how many of you enjoy being tested? No hands are going up right now. Well, we don't usually enjoy tests. Why? Because parents, you probably don't enjoy your kids' tests either. What happens the night before? Okay, where's your book and what are you supposed to be doing? Well, haven't, why haven't you learned this yet? And you find yourself learning fourth grade geometry or geography or whatever fourth graders learn along with them. Because they're going to be tested. You see, tests in school are used to help the teachers understand if the students actually learned what they were supposed to learn. Tests are then put in place to test them. Have you learned this yet? And show them what they have learned and what they have not learned. When God tests someone, it is altogether different. God does not Test us just to see what we have learned and not learned. The Scripture actually tells us we learn through God testing us. That's why James says it this way. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." What God does in our faith is God tests us so that He might grow us in our faith. If you think about Abraham, you know that Abraham's story is one of consistent growth in his faith. There's times when he fails. There's times when he passes these tests. There's times when God calls him to do something and he lacks faith to do it and he fails. There's other times when God has called him and he has trusted God and he has past and all along the while god is building the faith of abraham and you'll remember this is a faith that then later the writer of hebrews will commend this is a faith that would lead abraham to the special designation that only he has in the old testament that he is called a friend of god and yet that is a designation that each of us has in christ we see abraham growing in faith but in this growth He is required to surrender. Specifically here, the text tells us he has to surrender his son Isaac. Verse 2, God says to him, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. We're reminded of the special relationship that Abraham has with Isaac. You'll remember history leading up to this point. Abraham had another son. Abraham failed the test to trust God for Isaac and so... Through his wife's servant, Hagar, he has a child named Ishmael. And we see in the Scripture a very special relationship between Abraham and Ishmael. In fact, when God comes to Abraham to remind him of his promise to bless him with a child, he holds up Ishmael and says, I want this to be the child, Lord. I want you to bless Ishmael. I want Ishmael to live before you. Abraham loves his son, Ishmael. He wants Ishmael to be the promised one. But God reminds him that Ishmael is not the promised one. In fact, as history then continues, we find Ishmael and his mother Hagar being exiled from the house of Abraham. And so Abraham then, under God's instruction, is told to, to, to take Ishmael from his home. To, to only have Isaac. Isaac would be the one through whom the promise would be fulfilled. And we see Abraham grows in this relationship with Isaac to now in Genesis 22, Isaac's a young boy. He's grown and Abraham has a special relationship with him. He loves him. And it is the very context of that we need to understand in order to get a grasp on what it means of God to ask him to surrender Isaac. You see, Abraham has surrendered other things that may not have been as important to him. We'd like to think that his relationship with his wife Sarah was pretty important, but look at how quickly he's exchanged her. How quickly he's put her out of his house for his own safety. But with his boys, it's been a whole other story. In fact, when God tells him through Sarah that Ishmael has to go, Abraham wrestles with this. He doesn't want Ishmael to go. And so we can then see where Abraham has this attachment with Isaac where he probably doesn't like this either emotionally i don't think abraham wants to sacrifice his son god reminds him you love this boy and yet i want you to sacrifice him we're reminded then in abraham's obedience that we can't always be guided by our emotions can we there are things that we hold tight to emotionally, that we love, that we don't want to let go of. But if we make all of our decisions based on how we feel and what we're emotionally drawn to, that may be the exact opposite path than that which God has for us to grow in our faith. See, our our culture tells us this. Follow your heart. What does that mean? It means whatever feels best to you, do that thing. But friend, can I just tell you, if you do what feels best to you, you will end up in a whole world of pain. See, the Scripture tells us that that which feels best to us, that which is following our heart, is not always the best thing. In fact, often that leads us towards sin. And the problem is this. The Scripture says we don't really even understand our own heart. Prophet Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The prophet's saying, we don't even fully understand our heart. And so we have to be very careful when we make decisions just based on our emotion. What we see here is Abraham making a decision based rather on God's promise to him. God had promised Abraham that he would bless the nations through Isaac. Abraham now has this dilemma. God is saying, sacrifice Isaac. And yet God has said he would bless the nations through Isaac. So what does Abraham do? Abraham follows through in obedience, trusting that God would even raise his son from the dead. That's what the writer of Hebrews tells us. He says that Abraham follows in trust in faith, trusting that God would even raise his son from the dead. This is the faith that Abraham has. And it comes as he surrenders to God. And what he finds is the second point I'll put in your notes there that the Lord then provides for the faithful who surrender. We see here God providing for Abraham. We see Abraham, in fact, calling this very place the place where the Lord would provide. Think about this dialogue that takes place. Abraham and Isaac are walking up this mountain. It's taken them about three days to get where they're going. He's told his other servants to stay behind. He and his son are walking up the hill. And as they're walking up the hill, he has the fire, he has the wood, he's got the blade, and he's got his son. Now his son is smart enough to know there's still one thing missing. And so he looks to his dad and he says, where's the sacrifice? And what does Abraham say to him? Abraham says, the Lord will provide the sacrifice now some of us can read that and kind of dismiss it as abraham just giving isaac an answer to settle his curiosity i know none of you parents are ever guilty of that but your kids ask the same question over and over and over again and so you just give them something so they will stop asking but i don't think we just have a dismissive abraham here no i think we have a faithful abraham trusting That the Lord will provide for Himself the Lamb. And that is exactly what the Lord does. But look at the way He does it. He asks Abraham to surrender that which is most precious to him. Now think of that for a moment. Most of us don't have any problem surrendering things that aren't that important to us. If God was to ask you, require of you to to give up something right now that wasn't that precious, that's, that's not real difficult. But God often asks us to surrender that which is most precious to us, and that is where we struggle greatly. That is where we too are tested in our faith. And what the Christian life is, what it means to walk in faith is to Consistently go before the Lord and hold up that which is most precious to us and say to the Lord, Lord, this is yours. I remember when our son, Parker, was born, holding him, he was much smaller then, and saying to the Lord, Lord, he's yours. And whatever that means, Lord, he's yours and I surrender Him to you. And I remember holding Vivian the same way and saying, Lord, she, she's Yours. You do whatever You will with her. And holding and Claire and saying, Lord, she's Yours. You, you do what You will with her. And then I remember holding Caroline, our youngest, and saying that to the Lord and having a very different experience. If you know much about our story, and Caroline, who is wonderfully a blessing in our lives. You know, there were some struggles there when she was born. And, and when I held her, I remember that day holding her in the hospital saying, Lord, she's Yours, but not really knowing what that meant. Knowing there's concerns, there's issues. We don't know what they are. And I remember God dealing with me on that as if He were saying, is she really? Do you really mean that? And I remember wrestling with the Lord and I still wrestle with the Lord. And I remember hours later being at Vanderbilt Hospital holding her and at this point she had tubes and wires and all these things on here and saying, Lord, she really is yours. And Lord, I want you to do with her as you will. Now I was blessed because I prayed that and God has provided greatly for us, but I know some of you have prayed that. You have prayed before the Lord with that which you hold most dear and the Lord's taken it from you. So some of you have prayed, God, would you remove this cancer? And he hasn't. Some of you have prayed, Lord, would you, would you bring my child back? Would you, would you restore this relationship? God, would you heal this person? God, would you do this? And there's this sense where you look at this text today and you say, well, this is all well and good because in the end, Isaac lives. And those I love haven't and you wrestle with God over that, over what does it really mean to surrender? And what does it ultimately mean that God provides? Because you didn't walk down the mountain with your child. God took them, or He took whatever it is He called you to surrender. And here's what you need to understand, and here's what I need to understand about this word. We can't take Genesis 22 out of the context of the rest of Scripture. We must read it in the context of the rest of Scripture. And what we find then is this. God through Abraham is telling a greater story than Abraham's story. God through you is telling a greater story than your story. He is telling the story of the Gospel. And this is what the Gospel promises us. And this is what I'll leave us on in the last point in your notes there is that the Lord truly does bless those who are faithful and those who surrender. And that blessing doesn't necessarily mean you come down the mountain with your child. That blessing is ultimately found in Christ. Because while you may pray, God, will you even raise them from the dead and they die... We have the promise and the blessing that God most certainly will one day raise them from the dead. You may pray, God, would you take this sickness from them? And He doesn't. But the promise of the Gospel is that He one day most certainly will. You see, the Gospel teaches us, friend, to look ahead beyond the temporal Because in the temporal there will be pain and there will be suffering, but we are to look ahead towards a promise. And that's what we do when we come to the Lord's table. We look ahead to a promise. We're reminded in this text to look ahead to a promise. Abraham was reminded to look ahead to a promise because him coming down the mountain with Isaac was not the end of the story. God had a much greater story to write through one who would come from Isaac ultimately Named Jesus. But to get there, you need some other people in this story. And that's why we have passages like verses 20 through 24, a list of names that are somewhat difficult to pronounce. If you're looking for baby names this morning, you've got a whole bunch of them here. Have you an uzz and a buzz and everything else? But there's more to this than a list of names. Because within this list of names, verse 23, we're reminded. That when Abraham returns from offering up his son and God provides the ram and he sacrifices that instead and he comes down, we're reminded that he's looking ahead to something else. Jesus said of Abraham that Abraham looked to Jesus' day. He is looking forward to the Gospel. And we see a glimpse again of it when he returns. Because he's told that his brother has had a whole lot of children. That his brother's household has expanded. And there's one name that should jump out of the page at you, and it's verse 23. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. Because Rebekah would be the wife of who? Isaac. And from them, there would be this continuing genealogy that would ultimately lead to Jesus. And that son would be sacrificed. In fact, historically we know that Mount Moriah where Abraham made this sacrifice, that that very place is where Solomon built his temple. And if you know much about the temple, you know that there were many, many sacrifices made at the temple. In fact, when the temple was dedicated, just at its very dedication, the Scripture tells us that 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep were sacrificed just at the dedication of the temple. Why? Because these sacrifices continue to remind God's people not that the Lord did provide, but the Lord will provide. Why did Abraham call that place the God will provide? Because he was looking forward to God providing a lamb that would atone for the sins of the world. Close to that same place where the temple would be built would be another hillside where a sacrifice would take place. Calvary. Close to that very spot would be the very place where the Lord did provide His Son, Jesus, to die in our place. I believe Abraham was looking towards this day. And now, friend, we look back on that day mindful of a day that is to come in our future. See, when we come to this table, we're reminded of the body of Christ that was broken on our behalf, of the blood of Christ that was shed for us, so that you and I might see a new day. A day where there is no more suffering, where there is no more sickness, where there is no more pain, where there's no more tears, where there's no more crises. A day when we are there with our Lord and all things are made right and new. A day when Jesus says, we're going to drink of this cup again. But it's not just going to be some little plastic thimble with juice in it. We're going to be at the banquet table of our king. And that's what we live looking towards. And for those of us in Christ, that is what we live for. That during this time we might bring him glory until we are there with him in his glory in a new heaven and a new earth. The scripture says that Abraham trusted God And He looked towards that day. And so friend, that is the call for us today. Trust Him and look toward that day. I want to invite our deacons to come forward. And as I do, I want to pray for us. And as I pray, I want to ask you to pray as well. The Scripture calls us to examine ourselves before we come to this table. This is an opportunity for anyone here who is a confessing Father of Jesus Christ to Partake in the Lord's Supper. And as we do, the Scripture says that we're to really check ourselves, that we're to pray and ask God to examine our hearts, that we are to come to the Lord as we come to this table, repentance. Perhaps today God has reminded you of your need to surrender. Perhaps there is something in your life that is so precious to you that it has taken the Lord's place in your life. Let go and surrender it. Perhaps that thing which is most precious to you is really just sin. The Scripture says, repent and turn from it. Think on these things and pray on these things as we prepare to receive this together. Let me pray for us. Father, we come to You in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for this time, a time when those who are followers of Christ, who have confessed Christ, who have repented and turned from their sin, when we are reminded not only of what Christ did for us through His death on the cross, but Lord, we're reminded of a day that is to come, a new heaven and a new earth, a banquet table where we will dine with our King. Lord, help us to live looking towards these things. Help us to repent and turn from our sin and walk in faith with You. Lord, help us to think on these things as we prepare to receive these elements together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The first element that we're going to receive is the bread. The Scripture tells us that Jesus shared a meal with His followers, a Passover meal, and that He took something very common from that table, bread. I imagine that the same is true for us. If you were to look in our pantries today, The most common thing we have is just a loaf of bread, but this would represent something far from common for the rest of history. Jesus took this bread and He broke it, and He said that it would represent, it would symbolize His body that would be broken for us. And what that means, Christian, is that your body doesn't need to be broken because His was, that His death was sufficient for you and for me and for Any sin in your life, in the past, any sin in the future, His death covered it all. His body was broken for us. Consider this as we prepare to receive this together. I'm going to pray and thank God for the body of Christ. The deacons are going to distribute this element to you, and then we're going to prepare to receive it together. So let me pray for us. Father, we thank You for the body of Christ that was broken on our behalf. Lord, remind us as we prepare now to receive it, Lord, that our works, our efforts are meaningless apart from repentance and faith. Help us to live in repentance and faith. We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen. Matthew writes in this Gospel that as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to His disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. We go on to see in the Scripture that Jesus then took something else that would have been very common. He took a cup. He said this cup would symbolize something far from common. He said that this cup would symbolize His blood and a new covenant in His blood. We understand the Gospel teaches that it is the blood of Christ that made atonement for our sin. His blood was shed for us. In fact, the Scripture says that we are then covered by His blood. We have a picture in the book of Revelation of people being cleansed by His blood. It is through the blood of Christ then that we receive and are made righteous. Consider this as we prepare to receive this cup together. I'm going to pray for us. And again, the deacons are going to distribute these cups and then we'll prepare to receive it together. If you would, thank God with me. Father, again, we come to You in Jesus' name and we thank You for this cup We thank You for the new covenant that we live under through the blood of Jesus Christ which atoned for our sins and covers us. That we can then live in a right relationship with You because of the blood of Christ. Help us to consider this, to repent and have faith as we prepare to receive this cup together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Matthew goes on to write that after taking the bread that Jesus took the cup, the Scripture says, When He had given thanks, He gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is My blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in My Father's kingdom. Father, we thank You for this reminder, this Lord's Day, that for those in Christ, we will be in a new kingdom one day. Lord, that as we repent and walk in faith, that our salvation is secure in Christ through His body and His blood. Father, we pray now for any here again who is yet to repent and have faith in Christ, that You would so move in their lives. Perhaps even some today as we offer a time of invitation that you're leading to join our church. Whatever it is, Lord, during this time of response, we pray that you would call us to surrender and to walk in faith with you. We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen.